Hey everybody, St. Paul here, and welcome to the very, very first podcast of Music on the Run. Before we get going here, do me a favor. Wherever you got this podcast, please give us a rating. It's super important. Hit the subscribe button, and if you have time, write us a review. What's really important is that we spread the word about this great podcast so we can get a lot more people coming to the party. All right. Enjoy the very, very first podcast of Music on the Run. Hey everybody, St. Paul Peterson here, and I can't wait for you to check out the first episode of Music on the Run podcast. Our first guest, moi. We're going to get to know each other, we'll talk stories, tell you about how I stay in shape on the road. It's going to be great fun, man. Check it out, Music on the Run. Hey everybody, it's St. Paul Peterson, and this is episode one of Music on the Run. Woo! All right. Welcome, everybody. It's fun to have you on here. Again, my name is St. Paul Peterson, and uh, we'll get into who St. Paul Peterson is, is in a little bit. You know, we don't, we'll talk about the St. Paul bit in a little bit. Uh, this is a podcast, and you're going... Why are we having another podcast? Well, for those of you who know me, you know that I'm a musician and I've uh, been in the business a really long time. But the primary focus of this is more about how you stay in shape on the road. Because I've been a road dog since I'm, what, 18 years old, Davide? Something like that. So, you know, and it actually is such an important thing for especially... For us to be able to tell the next generation of musicians and or businessmen or whomever has traveled and has some secrets, pass all that on to the next generation or just give some tips to our, uh, you know, people our own age. That's what I think we're doing. My my producer, Davide, is over here in the corner, so I'm just not talking blindly to somebody over here. But uh, I think it's really important to, to uh, talk about health and not only uh, physically, but I'm talking about mentally how you stay mentally fit when you're on the road. For me, being a musician, how do you stay, how do you keep your chops up? These, this, we're going to talk all about that. And also, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about family because family is so incredibly important to me. And I'll talk about my family in just a little bit. The Peterson family, they're, Man, there's something else. And you know what we just found out, Davide, is that we're being inducted into the Minnesota Music Hall of Fame. So proud of you guys. This uh, November. So isn't that cool? It is, absolutely, man. That's an honor. Oh, isn't it, though? It, it is. It is. So don't think we're not going to talk about music, because of course we are. And, you know, the, the, the bulk of the people we have on here, they're going to be, they could be celebrities, they could be businessmen, they could be comedians, they could be... Uh, Anything. Doctors. Yeah. You know what? Uh, They could be uh, fitness guys who can maybe give you a few tips on what to do, how to sleep better. All of that. So that's super important. Okay. So for those of you who don't know who the heck I think I am. Hello. My name is St. Paul Peterson. Why the saint? Right? Yeah. Yeah. I think that we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that later because that's part of my musical story. 
not my religious story. Although my mother would like that. You know. So I would say that I would characterize myself as probably a little bit hyperactive. And I don't know whether that's caffeine-induced or just a natural thing. But even since I was a little kid, I'm like, come on, let's do something. Come on, I can't sit still. I can't sit still. I think that could be because I'm the youngest. I'm not sure. It could be, you know. But my family, uh, uh, the Peterson family, we're all about music. And I'm the youngest sibling, the youngest one. You know what happens when you're the youngest. You get spoiled and you get to steal all your brothers and sisters, uh, in my case, licks, uh, all that kind of fun stuff dealing with music. The troublemaker. I'm not the troublemaker. I was perfect. <laughs> you better put your mic up to your lips so you can get all this commentary. If you're going to be uh, if you're going to be a cat calling over there, I want people to be able to hear you. All right. So all right. I I don't want to too much. No, well, that's fine. I, I I like talking with somebody over there. Cool. So that again, that's my uh, producer Davide Razzo. Davide. Uh, Davide. No. No. I don't think you pronounced it correctly. No. Yeah, okay. I could never pronounce it. But, uh, we'll talk about him in a little bit, but I always called him Davide. Davide, I like that. <laughs> so uh, back to the Peterson family. My pops died when he was forty-eight. So health has been on. Peterson family's mind forever and uh, we you know of course we had to like stick and move I was four when he passed so we had to uh, figure out how to survive without him and more so my my mom of course and my older brothers and sisters who are already pretty much grown and uh, Patty's 10 years older than I am and she basically had to start taking care of me because mom was out gigging. Now, my parents were, were musicians as well. I didn't know my, my pops very well, obviously, because I was four when he passed. But uh, mom mom is was one of the uh, sickest keyboard player singers ever, ever, ever to uh, grace the keyboards. I'm telling you, she was, uh, she was something else. I did thousands and thousands of gigs with her. So she'd go out and do her gigs, and then Patty would have to, you know, make sure I did my homework, did all that kind of stuff. So we really became a super tightly knit family. You know, it's not; it doesn't go without a little controversy here and there. Not, I guess, controversy is probably the the wrong word, but I don't know if it's competition. Just family dynamics. But we all are crazy about each other, and it really. Um, it's an important part of my life, and, and family balance is, is another thing that we'll talk about in this podcast. And I think that uh, getting opinions from our guests coming up is going to be incredibly important in how they balance life on the road, raising kids, keeping your marriage together, or not keeping your marriage together, and, and making your choices, and why you make certain choices in your life. And I think that's going to be an integral part of, of what we're doing on this. Okay, so a little bit more about me. So I've been playing music my entire life because I didn't know any better that I was not supposed to play music. I thought every kid in the neighborhood had a family like mine, and I thought they all played instruments. I'd go up to them and say, hey, what do you play, Davide? Guitar. Well, he does, too. He does play guitar. One of the things that I love since we're talking about health here and just me always being on a move is I love and still do love baseball 
baseball, baseball, baseball. I mean, ever since I was a little kid, literally, I think all the way up through beginning of high school, I played. That was uh, that was what it was all about for me. And one of the reasons is my mom and dad played the organ at the Twins game. Twins, see? Vintage shirt. See what I'm saying? Go Twins. Tony Oliva. Harmon Killebrew. Cesar Tovar. Greg Nettles. Uh, see, I don't know any of these players. Well, you shouldn't. You weren't, you're not from here. But I loved all the Larry Heisel. Uh, we're talking 70s teams here, but I, that, that was my favorite thing to do. So I used to get to go into the old Mets stadium and go up into the, I think it was the second floor, but this was an old building. And we'd go into where mom and dad's organ was. Then uh, the stadium announcer, Bob Casey, was in the actual same booth with us. And he, he would be, now batting number 29, Rod Carew. But he was so into baseball, but he didn't have a filter, and he used colorful metaphors uh, all the time. He he was slamming stuff, and he'd be crazy like that. My mom, this wonderfully Catholic woman, would be like, Paul, why don't you go get yourself an ice cream right now? But this guy would always go out and get me one, you know, when they'd have bat day or whatever that would be, ball day, hat day. He'd always come back with something for me, so... Cheers to you, Bob Casey. But anyways, baseball was a, a huge part of my growing up, and one of, one of the things that I, I loved a lot. So through grade school, I, I played baseball. I also played football, but everybody grew, and I did not. I was fast, but I didn't want to get killed. Yeah. I Because I, I was already thinking about my chops. I'm like, I don't think that's a good idea, because I was playing since the time I was born, as if, you know, from the time I could walk. Maybe before I had, uh, you know, I remember playing. I don't remember this, but people have told me that I played the drums at age two and then did my first little television appearance when I was four. I couldn't reach the pedal, so I'd have to stand up and play the drums. But so You can imagine now why, why I was thinking about my chops when I'm 13, 14 years old. Crazy stuff. So throughout high school, I actually started to play a little bit of tennis, too. What a great sport that is. And I just watched... Wimbledon. Wimbledon. Oh, yeah. Incredible. Djokovic. Yep. He, and against he, Federer. Man, what a match he's, that was. He's from my town in Switzerland. So. Oh, you got to be kidding. Yes. Yes. Wow. He yep. played incredibly. Federer is from your hometown. Yes. He's man. been uh, number one. I don't think he's number one now, but uh, he used to be number one for a long, long time. Yeah. Well, he's a heck of a tennis player. He's, he's old for the tennis game, too. Yeah. Yep. He's he's incredible. But uh, I loved, loved, loved tennis as well. I kind of gave up baseball and switched to tennis because I had one freaking bad season. I didn't get along with my coach. So I just went, I don't know, I'm not going to play anymore. I was Mr. Competitive, and I'm, I wasn't getting my way. I was a little spoiled brat. And then I decided to just switch gears and go to, uh, go to tennis. And I loved that. Lettered a couple years in high school. And I wasn't very good, but I think they gave letters to everybody. No. <laughs> <laughs> but I was competitive, and I've always been competitive, no matter what it is. If it's uh, if it's baseball, if it's if it's tennis, whatever. But you also have to understand something else. During high school, I was working six nights a week with my uh, sisters' bands at, at at a local bar. Six nights a week in a bar. <laughs> 
Wow. And trying to get my schoolwork done. And my mom was gigging. And at that, that time, my sister was 25, moved out of the house with a couple of kids. So, you know, I was kind of on my own. And it, somehow, I was disciplined enough to be able to pull it off and graduate 11th in my class. Ta-da! Wow. Can you believe that? Wow. But my... my 11th. <laughs> this is so funny, man, is that my uh, my teachers used to come out to see me play at my gigs and I buy them all rounds of drinks and you had no problems to like, oh, underage kind of like the bar owners that no they problem. all thought I was of age I guess that oh really I wow. looked like a baby but I evidently played like I was an, yeah. an adult or whatever that means <laughs> so they all came and I, I'd buy them a round of drinks and principal kind of said to me at one point in time said what are you doing here you already know what you're going to be doing he wasn't. He wasn't encouraging me to drop out or anything, but he just was like, "Just get we over. already know what you're doing. Just get over with it." Right. So yeah. uh, it was. It was super fun, and it was loose. And those guys, you could never get away with that in uh, in modern days. I yep. mean, you're not buying your teachers rounds of drinks, man. There'd be a little no. HR problem on that one. Oh yeah. Right. So. <laughs> wow. So you know what else happened in high school? Is I met my bride. We're going to be talking a little bit Lovely about family. Bride. Yeah, I'm, I, I met Julie in 1981. That's a long time ago. We dated as uh, high schoolers, and then we broke it off. And However, started going back out again uh, when I was going through my whole Prince phase. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about that as mm-hmm. well. But we've been married for 29 years coming up this October. So Ooh-hoo. it can be done and i'll be sharing stories about how we made things work and where i screwed up and where uh you know how we compromise and all those kind of words that we use and in in decisions we make in our lives to stay together and not give up and that's uh, important to julie and i and my our two little girls i've got two beautiful little girls yep they're not little anymore though they grew up <laughs> on me Dominic. yeah they do huh? yeah they they do yeah they're wonderful wonderful they're they're, they're great kids so uh kelly is my oldest i just did a gig with her today she she runs a spanish immersion preschool fluent in spanish they had their little 1k run today in the rain wow daddy was asked to go and provide the pa so i loaded my car full of pa <laughs> went out there and you know i'm not setting up when it's lightning out so we brought in a little tiny speaker and they had a beautiful spanish band play and and nice. that's what I got to do. And then my youngest is, uh, she goes by the name Jean Taylor, after my mom, Jeannie, but J-E-A-N-N-E, Taylor. Her real name is Taylor. She's out in L.A. doing what, Davide? Trying to be a rock star. She's trying to be a rock star, and but she's wonderful as well. Yeah, she's um, a great kid. During the day, I think she's used to told me she's taking care of... Uh, she's, she's taking care of kids. She's a nanny yeah. out there. But I think she's moving on from that now. Oh, really? Okay. I've That's been told she let me in on that one. <laughs> yeah. So I get to see her. She's coming home in in, uh, in about a week or two. Okay, cool. So here's what happened. Let me tell you a, bit, a little bit about my career and, and uh, some of my adventures, I guess you'd call them. So... I graduated from high school. I was on vacation with a buddy of mine, best friend for my entire youth, Brett Ward. Of course, I called him Bert Ward, who was Robin in the Batman series. Why? I really? Him Bert. Oh, yeah. His name was Bert Ward. Check him out. Anyway, so. Wow. 
Okay. So Brett, uh, Brett and I were up vacationing, doing terrible, naughty things like drinking beer and underage and all these kind of things. That's kind of where I was at at that time in my life. I got a call from my brother-in-law, whose band I was playing in in high school with my sister. He said, Paul, his name is Stuart. He said, Paul, get your butt down here. End vacation early, and uh, you've got an audition with Morris Day in the time. I'm like, really? i got to end my vacation early? I'm having fun. He's like, get your butt down here. Did, did you know who Morris Day was? Oh, yeah. Okay. They, they were okay. really, they were kind of hitting, and the Minneapolis scene was just bubbling just, at that okay. point in time. Okay. That was 1983. Okay. What happened was is that this is around the time that you've probably heard the stories if you're Prince fans, and you've probably heard me tell it. But uh, Terry and Jimmy were starting to produce people. Terry and Jimmy were in the group at the time. So they got snowed in and missed a concert. And so they got fired right before they were going to make Purple Rain. So they were holding auditions for replacement people for Morrissey in the time. My buddy Monty, he wasn't my buddy yet, but he had also left and gone with Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, which was a great decision for, for him because mm-hmm. he went on to work with Janet Jackson, yep. Alexander O'Neill, and so many other people. So here I am, this 17-year-old green suburbanite, White kid from Richfield. Richfield. Thank you. I, I, I appreciate the reminder. <laughs> Richfield, Minnesota. Going in. I had to come home. I, I had to prep. I think it was. Uh, for some reason, it was, I, I, I'm thinking it was 10 songs. I'm supposed to be able to play them, not look at any sheet music, look cool, which was impossible possible for me at that age. It the was dancing parts and, and stuff like that too, right? Do what? The dancing. Oh, and dance. Yeah. The moves I, and all Yeah, which was very awkward for... <laughs> I was dangling. I was all arms and legs. And I didn't know what cool was. So I went in... So I, what happened was is they didn't give me a lot of time to learn this material. The cassette tape showed up at my door. I went down into mom's basement. Of course, I'm still living at home. Had to go down. I'm, I'm sitting on mom's grand piano, learning these songs to the best of my ability. I had to learn them overnight because the tape didn't get there in time. So my, my audition was the next day. So I went in, and uh, Jesse Johnson was running the audition at that point in time. Okay. Who else was left over? Jerome, Jellybean Johnson. Jelly, yep. That was it at that time. And then I believe I auditioned with another bass player. Rocky Garrity, and then another keyboard player by the name of Mark Cardenas. We played that afternoon, and it was it felt good. I was scared to death, but uh, so we we got finished. Got a call back that night. Came the next day, played, and this little guy came out dressed to the nines, and of course that's Prince. Got done playing. He came up to me, and he did what ended up appearing in uh, Under the Cherry Moon in a scene. I don't know whether he did it on me first, but he wrote down on a piece of paper. You guys can't see this, so I'll try to describe it. Uh, those of you listening, uh, while you're running, of course. He wrote down the word wreck, W-R-E-C-K, and then a, or A, I mean, and then the word stow, S-T-O-W. He said, say this out loud. I was nervous because I knew who he was, and he was... You know, bubbling under and really creating a whole wave of the sounds that he was making. I said, Rekasto? 
He said, what is it? I said, I don't know. Say it again. Wreck a stone? He said, say it faster. Wreck a stone? He said, what is it? I said, I don't know. He said, where do you buy your records? Wreck a stone? And that's how he broke the ice with me. So then, that's so we're hanging, one. right? So that's, that's, uh, that's how we started the hang. Then he walks, walks me over to this uh, table that had swatches of suits, suit material, right? And, and the time is known for dressing to the nines, unlike what I've got on today. It happens. Anyway, so we walked over there, and, uh, you know, we, we we're going to have a double-breasted suit. It was going to be beautiful. We're, we're preparing for this new movie he's got coming out or, or about to film called film, Purple yeah. Rain. So I picked up this beautiful black pinstripe suit, and he said, you'll never be noticed in that. So <laughs> what did I end up getting into was an orange orange pinstripe suit he did a number on me he totally crafted me he went he was totally carving me out you still own that one i still got it and my daughter taylor fits perfectly in it she said dad can i take that to la with me i went no 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 you cannot so i had hair that was like david bowie i think he was like carving me into a david bowie lookalike so that was the beginning of my career with prince and we rehearsed with the group the time for close to a year and we shot live scenes at uh, and did a live record at uh, the amazing first avenue i was just hanging on for dear life because you know i didn't know what the hell was pulling off they were they were schooling me on how to be cool how to dance how to play parts and see i come from a bebop jazz family so parts are are things that you can work around right who was uh, the, um, the, the band member that kind of helped you out and kind of embraced you and oh, showing you the ropes? That's Jellybean. Jellybean totally hooked me up. He's been my friend for 35 years now, and we still play gigs together. But he's, he kind of was, because Jesse was hard on me. Jesse Johnson was a guitar player, and he was from the school of Prince and the school of James Brown, where they, they, they were leadership by being a dictator, basically, and... and and, and yelling at you and, and, and kind of humiliating you. And it, it worked. Yeah. It's just an interesting approach. But it did work, and they carved me into this little funk dude, right? And they, mm -hmm. they, they kind of helped me shed the Richfield suburbanite skin and get into this really funky uh, scene that was the Minneapolis sound. And, man, what a time to get in on that. So the next thing I know, I'm making Purple Rain with these guys. We didn't know what that was going to become. We just figured it was going to be a movie this guy was doing. And then next thing we know, I've got a double platinum record on the wall. Ice Cream Castles went double platinum. Wow. It was crazy. And then, you know, I'm flying out to uh, California for the premiere of Purple Rain. And my, my wife... She wasn't my wife at the time. She came with me, but she, you know, I didn't want to let my wonderfully Catholic mother know this. So I, I, I ended up sneaking her out there. We totally avoided all the television cameras all day long because we didn't want my mom to see that this was a huge nationally covered event, especially by wow. MTV and networks. So no one ever saw us, but we were there. Wow. Yeah. So. That was an incredible period of my life. What happened after that, Morris ended up leaving the band. Morris Day said, 
thank you, goodbye. And I'm sure it was because he and Prince were fighting and he didn't like the fact that he fired his friends, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. Who are these guys coming in, playing, you know, trying to take their spot? Can't blame the guy, really, no. for that. So uh, he split, and then Prince gathered us around in a, a warehouse that he had in Eden Prayer. And it was basically, Mark Cardenas ended up going with Jesse. Jesse left and got his own record deal, and Prince said, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to form a new band. And he pointed at me and said, you're going to be the new lead singer. I was like, what? I'm like, where did this dude hear me sing? I thought that I was complaining or anything, but the only thing that I can think of is during the shooting of Purple Rain at First Avenue, Prince's dressing room was here. More stay in the Times dressing room was here, separated by basically a, a, a material like this. So in other words, it was very... Uh, Sound could pass through that very easily. So Morris and I had to pass the time because making movies, you hurry up and wait. So we would be going, he'd be singing a lick, yeah, yeah, and I'd go, yeah, yeah. It wasn't very good, but then I would try to <laughs> outdo him, right? So I think Prince was like, ooh, that kid can sing too. So he ended up asking me to be the lead singer along with Susanna Melvoin, who he was seeing at the time. Mm -hmm. Jellybean ended up... Uh, Staying with the family, Jerome stayed with the family. Eric Leeds, who was his tour manager's brother, yep. came up and and recorded the record with with Prince and uh, the family. That's the name of the band was formed. So, man, good times were good. I was partying, having a great time. Boy, I was I was hot. You know what? And just ask me. And I was, you know, I thought I was the. I was thought I was the greatest thing ever. I mean, look, I'm sitting here with Prince. I'm in all these other bands. You know, the ego part of that whole youth. It happens to all of us in one form or another, whether it's corporately or if it's, you know, rock and roll bands or whatever. So I'm partying, having a good time, cocktailing, doing whatever. By the way, did you know that we actually video every one of these interviews that we do? If you want to see what we're doing Go to this address. It's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Music on the Run podcast and become one of our partners there and you get to see all the behind the scenes footage, pictures, video. We'll send you some swag. You'll love it. And we would love your support and we would love to be your partner in this podcast. Patreon.com forward slash Music on the Run podcast. Go check it out. So we rehearsed and probably again for about eight, nine months. And um, we did one gig. And then Prince went off to make a, a movie in France. And, and I got discouraged. And he wasn't helping us, uh, you know, progress really. But I'm sure he had a master plan. But at that point in my life, I was like, what is going on here? So I got wooed into uh, going over to A&M Records, and I thought I was going to be producing a record for Janet Jackson before she blew up. And really what they were doing is trying to steal me away from Prince, and I had no intention of doing that. So uh, at that time, the, the record already came out, right? The family record? Family record was, it was out. The first yes. single was okay. out. Yeah. And then I went in. He was having, he, I was in L.A. doing singing, dancing, and acting lessons, and he was... Sure, grooming me for his next movie or whatever that would have been. 
and I went into uh, A&M Records, hung out with uh, John McLean, who was the A&R man at that point for Janet, and I thought I was going to produce something for Janet, and he said, no, I want to steal you away from Prince. I'm like, what? Who in their right mind is going to leave Prince when, you know, I'm the next in line? He's, he's grooming me for to be a, a movie star, all this kind of stuff. And then I went, ooh, I think my family was grooming me to be a musician and a star before Prince was. So I started to think about it. And the business was a little funny with Prince. I don't, I'm not going to get into detail, but we really weren't able to come to a conclusion on the family contract that was agreeable to everybody. Um, so I entertained it, and it ended up being a bidding war, and I ended up leaving Prince and going with MCA Records. Dang. My family said, are you sure this is what you want to do? And I said, yeah. You were the ones who grew me into uh, being a free thinker and being able to write songs and play all the instruments myself. That's what really attracted, I think, MCA Records. So I signed a deal with them, did a record with my brother Ricky, and uh, involved everybody in my family. I had, God, it it was such a cool thing because at that point in time when I was signed, I also toured with David Sanborn. Who's a great saxophonist, and he played on the record. Um, who else? But Hiram Bullock was on that record, who was a great guitar player. He's gone now, unfortunately. But that that experience really, really changed a lot of stuff. Obviously, Prince was not happy with me at that point in time, and I think I, you know, I think I kind of was uh, really busy. In fact, it was in this studio is where I made that record. Uh, we're we're wow. in my studio called, uh, it's called Creation, actually. My friend Steve Weiss owns it. I rent a room from him, and it's it's a super, uh, it's an old studio that we, it's, I think it's been in action since uh, the 1940s. Um, we make record, yeah. yeah. Uh, who, Bruce oh, Swedeen. Bruce Swedeen's studio. Own the studio here, and that's yes. Michael Jackson's uh, engineer. Engineer, yes. Yeah, and it was called Swedeen Sound. My mom and dad used to record in this studio. And it was a movie theater before? It was. It was a movie theater back into the turn of the century, I yeah. think. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, I'm having a good time. I've got a record deal, but Prince is giving me a hard time. And so I'm partying, having a good, you know, doing all that stuff. And uh, record came out, did just okay. A lot of good songs in there, but, you know, you. Th- I'm just trying to give you an idea of the ups and downs of the career Rich Man was your first single, right? Rich Man was the first single. That did really well. I got to go on uh, BET and yeah. uh, talk with all those guys. It was a weird time for a, a white kid playing funk music. Not a lot of people were actually just blatantly going that direction, right? Hmm. Way before Justin Timberlake, all, way before any of that kind of stuff. There were other blue-eyed souls guy way before me now. Um, Righteous Brothers, Daryl Hall, John Oates. But they were strictly pop, in my right. estimation. So um, not that I was trying to blaze my own trail. I'm sure there was others that I'm forgetting about. But all I'm trying to say, it was not an easy road to, to hope. It was, uh, it was difficult. We were, we were somewhat paving the trail and, and, and exploring new territory. But my background's in bebop and jazz. So in black music is, is such an integral part of my life and my family's life, and that's what I was raised on, and that's where it all comes from, that and the blues. Right. So, But you guys, the Minneapolis funk, the Minneapolis sound, you kind of made the funk a little bit more mainstream. 
I mean, James Brown sure. and, you know, all, all these guys uh, brought it up, but you guys, I think, made it more mainstream, more... Well, right. I mean, yeah. Prince, Prince really, Prince and Jimmy yeah. and, and Terry really paved the way on that. And we were just fortunate enough to, to lend our, our talents and voices and playing ability to, to all that. So pretty incredible, man. So I ended up uh, putting that record out, and then I left MCA, toured with my brothers with the Steve Miller Band. Talk about a strange, going from one <laughs> genre to the next. So one minute I'm playing with Prince, the next minute I'm playing with, you know, the gangster of love with my two brothers. Woo-wee, did we have some fun on that tour. Golly, man. Right up, uh, I think that was 88 to 1992, right before Kelly was born. Yep. And I did a lot of other tours during that time. I was making records. Boss Skaggs, um, Steve Miller, I said. Uh, Pull Up Duel? No, no, I was, did her record. I, I didn't tour with her, but we did her record right yep. in this studio right here. So I was doing a lot of sessions and ran into Donnie Osmond making my second record for Atlantic. And he and I became great friends. And he had a record out. I had a record out around the same time, right around 1990. And uh, he, became, he and I became great friends. And uh, uh, in the mid-90s, I ended up touring with Kenny Loggins. And I, I bring him up because... He's another blue-eyed soul cat. Yes. Great songwriter, super soulful, and guess what else he is? It's a long road around to this health thing, but he introduced me to running. Oh, okay. Kenny is the okay. first one who introduced me to running, and he uh, he was fast. He's tall, and I was like, oh, this is the last thing I want to do, but I wanted to hang with the boss, you know? <laughs> I wanted to make sure I was you know, get, getting in good and getting to know him. That's what he dug doing. He loved to run, and I didn't. I didn't want to have anything to do with that. But it, you know, I decided to uh, to try it, and it was not my favorite thing. However, uh, I grew to like it, and there's a few reasons why I grew to like it. Um, first of all, I, I totally shifted my life uh, in 1989. 1999. Ugh, these years all blend together. So I was hanging out doing the Donnie Marie television show, actually living with Donnie Osmond. He said, man, why don't you come here? No one's ever around. I want my buddy, because he and I were buddies before. He asked me to come and play on his show. And I'm like, sure, live in Santa Monica with you? Absolutely. But at this point, I'm like partying, having a great old time, and then all of a sudden, oops, yep, got the oops in California, threw me in the tank, and uh, I had my last cocktail was in January of 1999, so things started to shift, I wasn't very much fun to be around for a while after that, ask my bride. <laughs> you're, you're, you're still fun, Paul. Well, it took, yeah. let me tell you something, because, uh, and, and look, I really haven't talked much about my sobriety, uh, but I think it's an important part of my story and an important part about health, you know, and, yep. and uh, what happened when you, what happened to me when I stopped drinking is that you kind of got to learn how to be social again, you know, uh, and it, it's difficult because everything re revolves around the party. The party kind of is the hang, and the hang is all important in music and socializing and all that kind of stuff. 
you really got to learn how to deal with that without the cocktail. And sometimes you're, I mean, what, what's happened to me is I, I have gotten through that. The only thing that's changed for me is that my hangs are usually just a little bit shorter. Mm-hmm. And I'm good with that. And my friends who have stuck with me through thin and thick and thin are good with that too. They're like, oh, you're done, aren't you? And I'm like, I'm done. I love you. I'm going home. Just to, and they, they're cool with that. Yeah. But um, getting back to Kenny Loggins, I was kind of searching for something, and I didn't know what it was back in those days. And it was I wanted to get healthy. You know, my body was clean from from alcohol. Uh, I was working all the time. Still, you know, I'm that type A personality. This this running thing with logins really started to pay off. So, so how far would you guys go? Like, would you or how many times would you guys go? Well, we we'd hit the ground. Let's say we we flew to Hawaii, and then he'd be like, "Okay, lobby call eight fifteen. Oh. We're going on a run." I'm like, "It's eighty percent humidity, and all I see are hills out there. I don't want to do that." And he's like, "Come on!" <laughs> so we went, and here's what that experience taught me, and that was serenity it's it's a weird thing you and i hated running i hated running who wants to go out there and kill yourself and run more than you know 30, 30 yards well i get evidently we or, or right? you just run when you're chased right well exactly right who's chasing you so i found this this running thing really kind of helped me out mentally so when i was on the on the road I started running, and and it ended up being a great way to to see the town. I, as recently as my tour with Peter Frampton in 2016, there wasn't a lot of hanging going on with the fellas and me. So what did I do? I went running. I saw every one of these states with my two feet running, training for the marathon. Yes, yes. So it was it was also a great way for me to be able to get away from technology. To a certain extent, I mean, meaning the computer, emails, life in general. I put on my headphones, listen to my favorite music like Stevie Wonder, Earth, Wind, and Fire, my own family, whatever the case may be, or learn songs. Mm-hmm. Learn the whole Frampton tour by running it first. Yep. So, really, what it became was an escape, and uh, it. I'm telling you, I've never slept better in my life. Um, I look forward to. The social part of it too. You right. may also you, you may be my producer, but you're also my running brother. Yes. Why don't you actually come in here and talk to me, sure. these guys? Come, I'm, I want you to see who I've been talking to for the whole time. Who gooseneck sounds? Gooseneck you like sound. that? Okay, well, you, you here can, I am. You can cut that Hello, out. I'm Davide. Davide, or David E, as I like to call him. So, yeah, our history is a little bit different. So. Who I met first is, is my old high school buddy, Bill Nolan. Bill Nolan, yeah. Bill and I hadn't seen each other in 30 years. And he uh, he found me on Facebook and said, hey, you're a runner too, huh? Because I started to post this stuff. He said, uh, let's get together and catch up on 30 years. So he told me his life story as we were going around Harriet. And the second lap was my turn to tell my life story. And all this time... Um, we caught up and we started a little hang and we started running together all the time. Right. You were my student. Yes, at the MMI, at the Minneapolis Media Institute. Right. And at that time, 
I think I, I just finished to run the San Francisco half marathon, right. my first half marathon. And I think I kind of told you, hey, I, I just I just ran it. A half marathon? You did a half marathon? Right. Yes. So you run? And I go like, yes, well, we should hang. And there we are, right? Well, it was a weird thing because you got to remember because I, I was in a, a position of a authority. Yes, at that, exactly. Even though you and I are damn yeah. near the same age. I still had to kind of <laughs> separate that out just a little bit, but yep. he graduated top of the class. Yeah. We became, we were already friends, but then yeah. the hang was seriously on. So oh, yeah. we have a group of three or four or five of us at, right. uh, from different times called the geezers, the geezers. of gear. Yeah. That's right. So we get together and we share technology. I've got my, uh, they made me get a Garmin watch. You can't see this now, but is it the Vivo or something like that? Yep. It's the, the newest one and it, you can load up music on there so you don't have to bring your phone with you. Yeah, but I bring my phone anyways in case I yeah. fall and I can't get up. <laughs> you never know at 54 what happens. So, yeah. But I, th it's awesome because your heart rate tells you uh, right. how many steps you've climbed. Yeah. Very, very cool. So we, you and I have done, okay, you did a half marathon, but we, right. you've done one more marathon than I have, and I've done four. Yes. You've done five, right? Five. I did five marathons now. So Except you did Twin Cities how many times? Three times. And then we, we did Chicago together. Together. For the first time. We ran a marathon for the first time we, together. We were training for Twin Cities yeah. so many times together, and then just life happens. I got gigs. Uh, yeah. You know, it's and like what they say, if you want to get a gig, uh, plan a vacation. But he, did, uh, like, uh, two years ago, was it, um, that you had to bail yeah i had to bail and, out of the marathon uh, so he calls us and hey i, I got ju i just got a gig in uh, in germany and in, in Köln. and <laughs> there we go and uh well uh let's look up marathons in germany yep you there you're is. gonna run it and and then we found this uh the marathon in Köln. so the, the, at the, the same date the, no the day after my gig with ricky peters and my yeah. brother so exactly. i'm up at 6 a.m after the gig running the Köln. Marathon. marathon. It was unbelievable. unbelievable. People were lining the streets, cheering us on, smoking cigarettes. So like, <laughs> hey, whatever this thing. Every time I go back home, that's that's the. Uh, I I get actually. I was just home uh, in April. I ran the Zurich Marathon for the first time, and I got out of the airport, and all I smell is cigarettes. It's that's what it is. Yep, that's what it's all. And we, you know, you're you and Bill. I must say, are really. You really study running. You really do. And you, you basically become my coach. Bill's been my coach. You guys trade off just trying to. Right. And, and I just do what you tell me to do, which is really <laughs> convenient for me. But uh, most of the time I do what, what you tell me to do, except for the gym part. I'm working on that. I mean, I'm, I'm a guy who uh, I'm either 100% in or I'm 100% I'm out. I'm not a guy who uh, just works out. or um, So that's why the, the running, before running, I actually. I was cycling. Okay. In, uh, like 20 years ago, I actually started cycling, and I did all crazy shit. Oops. Whatever. You can swear on this podcast. Yeah. So, um, and, and then uh, I moved here in 2000, and for like five, six years, I didn't do anything. Hmm. Up until I started uh, with music, I got back in running. And then, uh, like in 2012, my wife actually, uh, she she was turning 40 and said, 
I want to do a half marathon and I go like, I don't have the <laughs> desire. So she kind of right. forced me. And so me uh, going 100% in, I started to not just look up for training plans or whatever. And right. I just wanted to, to, knowing what I knew back then 20 years ago with uh, training and heart rate zones and uh, eating and all that, um, that influenced my, my running. And, and now with you guys, I, I'm even more. And when I have a bad day at, at, the, at an event, I don't call them races because a race is only for, win anyway, for the yeah. first 10 that try to, <laughs> yeah. to win. Yeah. So for, we call them events, right? That's right. So We call them hangs. Yeah. That's but, really uh, what it is. But then, uh, yeah, so we do that. And so we kind of, I send you like at the training plan for the week. Hey, you should work on this and this. And But it's great. For example, when I was on the road with, with Frampton, you guys would be checking in with me via text all the time saying, yes. hey, did you run your five miles today? And I'd be like, it's 95 here. Hit the treadmill, which I did. Yeah, which is tough. It's tough. Well, you train for a marathon in the winter, so I know yeah. you know. And it's it's brutal. Yeah, but it is brutal. It, it's, that's what you do, you know, if... Um, you put something in your head, and then you have to do it. Right. So you guys have been really instrumental uh, in, in gear over in mm -hmm. Edina, Minnesota. Help me pick out the shoes. Shoes are important. Oh, yeah. Got my shoes here. I figured music, shoes, running, <laughs> health, that's what we're talking about. But uh, it's great to have you as my producer, and uh, he's the one that made me do this. It's 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 very nice, and it's a privilege to work with you as well. And uh I yes, I pushed you because I I know that um, a lot of musicians out there have some stories to tell because it's not uh, you know just uh, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Not at all. And uh, I think I you know I think we can tell and hear out some of your colleagues mm -hmm. and see how they keep in shape how. What they do, what's their rituals, you know, if yoga or whatever, you know, it takes to 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 remain sound. Right. Because, as you know, uh, going on tour and being on tour, it can get a little bit crazy. Yeah. You, your diet can be terrible. Your, yeah. your, your training regimen can go into, can go one of two ways. Either you, like my brother, you do more when you're on the road. Because you have the time, or you completely fall off, and mm -hmm. then you just sit in your bunk and hang out and don't do anything. But glad to have you aboard, my brother. Thank you. Now go back Thank in you your own position. Right. Davide Brazo, everybody. Thank you. So I'm going to talk a little bit about health, my personal health. So my pops died of colon cancer when he was 48. Super important that. Uh, Y'all take care of that and go in and get that. That's one of the most preventable cancers uh, there is. Excuse me. So uh, we do that. We make sure that we are good in that that, that easily preventable uh, disease that so we go in and get checked. Um, the other thing that it's not wrong with me by any means, but I've got the world's biggest birthmark. It's my God tattoo, baby. Yeah, you can't see it now, but it's large. Red, large, and my thermal thermometer. Whenever I get cold, it turns nice and blue or purple. Purple. That's right. It's purple. 
but it's cool. It, you know, my mom said, I'll never lose you because I got that, uh, I got that beautiful marking. So, and I choose to look at it that way. It was interesting growing up, but yeah. makes you tougher, you know, makes you stronger. And, uh, but that is nothing, man. If that's all I got to deal with, I'm good. Um, you know what? My love for baseball also led me to my eye health of all things. I was sitting in the studio and it was programming on the computer and all I could see were rainbows in my eyes. I'm like, man, I, I'm just tired, I think. So I, find, I found out Kirby Puckett had glaucoma, and he would describe what it was. I think it was in Time magazine, and I went into the same doctor he was being seen by. And the doctor said to me, Dr. Ristad, he said, <clears throat> i got some good news and some bad news for you. Number one, I've never had a patient come in and tell me that their eyes are bugging them. They want to be seen for something. So, so uh, that was described as glaucoma, because I basically thought that's what I had. He said, the bad news is you have it. The good news is you caught it early. You have no danger of losing your vision. So wow. for the past 20, what, five years, I've been taking a drop in my eye. Good to go. Once again, very easily handled, but, it, you know, it's all managing. Got to manage all that stuff. Here are a couple of things that are really vital to a musician, though. Um, one of them is hearing health. When I was 10 years old, my sister's husband at the time, his best friend, took me out shooting. I was probably 10. Took me out shooting, no ear protection, and he had different kind of bullets in this, this pistol. I'm not really familiar with shooting. I don't shoot a lot, but evidently he had a magnum bullet in there, so I was shooting. Bam, 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 bam! The magnum bullet went off. I, my ears are ringing off the hook for 40 years. Right now, ringing off the hook. I mean, yep. not fun, not excellent. And that's not good for a musician to have tinnitus, as they call it. Not tinnitus. You see tinnitus, I see tinnitus. <laughs> but I just went into the Har- Starkey Hearing Foundation, a-, a company that I've been very involved with musically for the last 18 years. I've been their conductor. They've taken good care of my ears, and I just went in for a checkup. Here's what we found out. Will you roll that, Davine? Check this out. Hey, everybody. Uh, St. Paul here. I'm actually at Starkey Laboratories, where I've been coming for nearly 20 years because of my hearing loss. And I just got my first hearing test in since 2014. The time flies. So we're going to go over it with Ray, who's uh, the guru here, uh, one of the gurus here. He's going to explain a little bit about what where my hearing loss is, and we're going to talk a little bit about prevention and what you can do so you don't have the hearing problems that I have right now. Check it out. Ray, what's going on, brother? Oh, how you doing? Good, man. Good. So here, what? Are, give me the bad news. So it's not bad news. Okay. So here, here's the thing, Paul. You know, looking at your audiogram, if you look at it really closely, these right here are called frequencies. Yep. You have 500, 1,000, 1,500, 2,000. So the further out it goes, the higher the pitch. Okay, sure. And the, as you go this way, it's the lower the pitch. Right. The circle is your right ear. Okay. The X is your left ear. Okay. As you look at the audiogram, your lower frequencies are better than your higher frequencies. <laughs> so that's sure. why you can hear things fine, but they're right. not clear. Right. The loudness is okay. The clarity is where you're having the most difficulty. So it's, sibilance, that kind of thing? Yep. So the, like, ch, f, s, ch, the, the, Exactly right. And yep. It's the it's same the frequency as tambourines, cymbals, yep. women's voices. Yep. Background noise. 
background makes noise. it more challenging. Yeah. So what happens is when you get into a, a, a loud situation, it makes your hires more difficult because of the background noise. Got it. So it's really important to get amplification in the areas where you need help because it helps you hear better in noise. It gives you better directionality and it gives you better clarity. So, so those are the three primary things that hearing aids can do. So that's what. Okay. So hearing aids have always had a bad rap. Yes. <laughs> Especially with musicians and any. Probably anyone who just doesn't want to admit me, to the fact that they're Let me tell you, wrong. hearing aids are amazing now. Let me tell you some things that we can do now with, with hearing devices. Okay, please. We can track your steps. We can do brain engagements. We can show you how active you're being with your phone. We can Bluetooth with the phone. Okay. We can detect if a loved one falls. If you fall, the hearing aid will detect your loved ones to let you know that you fell. I've fallen and I can't get up and it'll actually contact It'll someone. contact up to three people. No way. Yes. It'll contact up to three people through your phone and it'll alert them, let you know that you fell, and also it'll do a geotag to where you fell. So we're coming a long ways with technology. We also have a language translator. So if you speak Spanish to me, the hearing aid will translate into English. What about... <laughs> well, the talk back in, in, in Spanish, though, is the only... No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, so we... <laughs> There's a lot of things that hearing aids are doing today. Wow, that, that's that, crazy. Yes, and also we're going to be able to check your 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 your, your heart rate. We're, we have sensors in our hearing aids now that wow. can check your heart rate as well. So the stigma of hearing aids is you find it changing, and people are more willing to yes, because they're more your... they're more cosmetically appealing. A lot of people don't notice that I wear one. I wear one right now. Oh wow! If you see it, this is this. I is can't the... still can't see it. No. Yeah, I'm going to pull it out so you can wow. see it. Are you ready? Here we yeah. go. Isn't that something? Yep. Yes. Wow. This is called the Livio AI, which is our newest product. That's awesome, yeah. man. So we have a, a really thin tube just running down here, and we have a custom mold, and we have and your hair covers up the unit. So they're sure. not they're not like big bulky ones that we, you know back in the days. Things are getting smaller and smaller. The the, the technology, the, the nanotechnology, we're able to make smaller chips, smaller receivers smaller parts so it's more cosmetically appealing so a lot of people think it's, it's noticeable but if you look people don't oh, notice it unless i pull it out and show them right and do you i find it with me because i've had hearing aids for many years i get out of the habit of wearing them then i get into the habit of wearing them what about suggestions for for someone like me who just needs to put them in their ears you know that's a good question paul you know over time what happens is if you don't use it, you lose it. The wow. brain has to acclimate over time. Okay. If you keep taking in and out, the brain doesn't get used to it. The brain needs what it needs. You need high frequency. Mm -hmm. You need clarity. So with the hearing aid in all the time and keep stimulating the brain, the brain can process it better and understand it better. What happens is when people keep taking them out, the brain's getting confused. It's uh -huh. like, why am I not getting the input I need? So you have to keep feeding the brain what it needs. If you don't, things will, it can change. There is a correlation between hearing loss and, and um, Alzheimer's and dementia. Wow. Yes, there is a correlation. They find that people with hearing, hearing loss have a higher risk. So if you don't stimulate the brain, they've been proven that brain matter does change. Uh, give me the hearing. <laughs> I don't so, want to deal no, with so, so we tell people it's not just about hearing, it's also your health. Right. And so we're giving more about hearing and health, not just hearing. So the stigma is going away. It, uh, hearing aids more accessible to people, you think, now? Yes. Yeah. Then are they starting to sell them in retail markets, right? I mean, 
like yeah. a, are they starting to sell them in like Walgreens and yeah we, we see them at Walmart they do have them at Sam's they have them at Costco yep you see them all but I tell you you know it's a big discussion about buying over the counter versus seeing a professional uh, right so you still care. recommend coming in seeing your audiologist yes absolutely getting them up. absolutely you know because we, what you're going to do for me is you're going to yeah, pinpoint so, my frequencies that I've lost on this yeah so we're going to focus on what you don't what you need help and what you don't need help okay but, you know, talking about buying things, you know, over-the-counter versus seeing a professional. When somebody goes get something over-the-counter, they don't know much about their hearing loss. So they might be underfit or they might be, they don't know the right prescription. Right. When you see a professional, we know what we need to do. We see the audiogram. We know how to fit it based on what, what you need. If you go over-the-counter, you may underfit yourself. You may not get what you need. And there might be other issues. You might have... Uh, a conductive component or a surgical attention or you might have an ear infection or mm. you might have a lot of wax and you may not need the hearing aid so you don't know. So it's and nobody's going to go in there and do what they did for me which is check inside my ears and check remove the ear, wax. Do a thorough hearing test Correct. And, and see what your needs are. Right. Um, you know, you're playing a band, you're, you're very particular about sound so we got to tune it just right the way you want to hear it. Right. Hearing is not just objective, it's subjective. It's the way you perceive it. The perception of how you hear you hear a difference in someone else because you're a musician. So you hear things a little different. Of course. You, you tune into those pitches. Somebody that's not a musician may not hear it the way you hear it when you listen to music. So perception is very vital and very essential because they're wearing the hearing aid, not the technology. So you have to have someone that's a professional to understand what your needs mm. are and how you're perceiving it. Right. So it's not just about how you program it, but it's also how you listen to the patient. One last thing I'm going to ask you about, and that's tinnitus. I've been suffering from tinnitus since I'm 10 yeah, years old. Yeah, you know, you know, most people, quite a few people have tinnitus. Tinnitus is a phenomenon. It's a, it's, it's a phantom ring, which means the sound is occurring. Nobody else hears it but you. Yeah. And um, it, you, you don't hear that? Yeah. <laughs> and and, it's, and it's diff- there's different types of tinnitus. But if okay. you have a, a tinnitus that's sudden... And it's really, really uh, concerned. You should always see an, an ear doctor, an ENT, okay. because that's a red flag. There's something going on there. But if you've had it for a long time and you've seen medical help, um, tinnitus is very common for people to have hearing loss. Mm-hmm. Um, there is no cure for tinnitus. Uh, the number, the the top two things that cause tinnitus to to get not worse but louder is stress. Okay. Oh wow, interesting. And um, sodium. Uh, salt intake. So stress, no. yeah. So stress and um, dieting can help if you reg- regulate that better. Um, so we see a lot of people with tinnitus. Our hearing aids have a mask in it, which means it helps Cancel. mask the tinnitus. So the tinnitus won't be as annoying. Uh, so we have a mask in our hearing aids as well for people that have tinnitus because tinnitus is very common. We see okay. it a lot. Um, but going back to your, your hearing loss, um, the most common type of hearing loss we see is, is noise-induced, okay. age, um, or infections of the ear. Those are the three top okay. reasons why people have hearing loss. I've got two of the three. <laughs> yeah? Well, getting, getting there anyway. But I, I get yeah. excited because I have a hearing loss, and I, and I know what it's like not being able to hear, yeah. and I know the impact. Right. So if, I'm, if I have an opportunity to help people like myself, yeah. that's a win-win situation. Well, Starkey's so. always been incredible about uh, their foundation, of course, and, mm-hmm. and the, uh, the campus that you have here in Eden Prairie. Yeah. 
it's a world headquarters still, right? Yes. Um, yep. There's over two thousand locally, and we have over six thousand worldwide employees. You guys have been taking great care of me for twenty years yes. almost. So thank awesome. you so much, and thanks for commenting on this. Yes. This is great yes. information for my audience to, to sure. have. Sure. Sure. Right. Yeah. Thanks, buddy. You're welcome. I'm going to be putting them into my ears. Plus, you can stream music. You can stream your phone. It's kind of getting cool now. The only other thing that I have to deal with, and it's something that I have to, uh, uh, I have to kind of get beyond, is uh, I have something called, and I have to read this, abductor spasmodic dysphonia. Abductor spasmodic spasmodic dysphonia. Well, we'll 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 put it. Will you put that yes, on the screen? We'll put it on okay, the so screen. Yes. Basically, what that is is that's my. Uh, when I go to speak, and you may have heard my voice cut in and out. Today's a good day, actually. Okay. Yeah, but sometimes you'll hear a lot of air just escaping and maybe no words coming out. That'll happen from time to time in, in this podcast. So what happens is the muscles, and I heard it right there, the yes. muscles in my throat will tense up, creating the, the vocal cords not to be able to come together. And I wanted to have my doctor on from the mail Dr. Abella come on and talk about it, but she was busy. But so we want to assure people that no nobody is kind of strangling you, right? Uh, Nobody's strangling yeah, me, no, so. except for my brain. So it's a weird, very rare case of dysphonia, and it's a drag. Because I've been wanting to do this for years, and I keep putting it off, because I can never tell who's going to show up if I'm going to have a voice. Sometimes I have absolutely no voice whatsoever so there's really nothing you can do for it i did years of therapy and i just wasn't getting any better so the what they do now is they go in and they shoot you with uh botox which relaxes that muscle and i'm about to try it because i'm at wit's end with this thing uh, so we'll see how that goes and, and I'm, I'm praying that it's going to be the the answer for me but here's the goofy thing man i can sing I was just about to ask you, was singing. My voice has never been better. Oh, and that's, did you hear how strong that was compared to my speaking, speaking voice? voice? It's it's the wackiest brain you know what ever. But we do, this is part of our journey. This is what we have to deal with. And, and, and I mean, if, again, if that's the only thing I have to deal with. I, and I think I know this too. I think it, you have more trouble when, while we're running and, and we chat. I think uh, it's it's more uh, prone to kind of do that that thing to you. But let me tell you what running does for me mentally, yes. because I'm dealing with this all the time, and it's always on my mind. I may struggle more speaking when I'm running, but I'm telling you the the balance and freedom and and stress de-stressor that I have when I run makes my the quality of my life so much better. That's really what this podcast is all about. Music on the run. And yes. it, it, all we want to do is figure out what works for different people. You know, let's get some different ideas from people like Sinbad and Steve Miller and uh, all my different people that I've been touring with. And I think it's going to be a fascinating, fascinating journey. Who knows who's going to show up? I hope you all enjoy listening to Music on the Run. It's, uh, it's a new venture for me. And uh, I want to thank Davide for pushing me in this direction. And I also want to thank EV 
who's in my backyard for uh, the microphones and uh, let's uh, let's have a good time together and hang in with me and on our next podcast we're gonna have our first guest huh we're gonna have our first guest we're gonna have our first guest and you know who that is rock and roll hall of famer mr stevie guitar miller thanks for joining us my name is saint paul peterson and this is music on the run episode one music on the run was hosted by yours truly saint paul peterson Produced by my buddy Davide Razzo. Edited and recorded by Ivan Sobostianov. Recorded at the Workhouse in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And I'm not wearing any pants. Well, that's it for this episode of Music on the Run podcast. If you really like this podcast, do us a favor. Go to wherever you got the podcast. Give us a rating. Make sure you subscribe. And if you really want to help us and become our partner, go to patreon.com forward slash music on the run podcast.